Welcome to Finance to Futurist, a side trade podcast series on how innovation, data and AI are disrupting order to cash. Hi, this is Natalie Silverman for Side Trade. Welcome to Finance to Futurist. On today's episode, we're discussing how finance transformation is a cultural shift in the business, including a greater investment, not just in technology, but in people, process and data. Please welcome Jessica Grootman, Director of Digital Strategy and Innovation at Intentional Futures. Good morning, Jessica, and thanks for sitting down for Finance to Futurist. Hello, hello. So happy to have you. And I know you've been you've been doing a lot for us at SideTrade. So you came with us to the Gartner CFO event and you did the webinar for us. So again, we really love to have you and, and glad that you could join us for the podcast. Great to be back on the pod. All right. So, you know, for today, maybe we start out with a really easy question. Maybe I could ask you to, to give a little background about yourself and where you came from. Sure. So Jessica Groupman, a pleasure to be back with you here today. I have long been a technology analyst, and as such, I have studied a a wide range of technologies from blockchain to artificial intelligence to CRM systems, mobile, social, 5G, wearables, bingo, quite a wide range of different technologies that I've looked at as an analyst, but I always have done so through the lens of of an anthropologist. That's, That's my background, and I really study the kind of trends and forces, human implications of all our tech applications. So currently, I lead a team in digital innovation at Intentional Futures, a research strategy and design firm, and try to keep up with all of these rapidly shifting trends, forces, and changes in the world today. So that's a little bit about where I'm coming from. Oh, well, I love that. You probably know this, but our side trade uh, platform is actually called Augmented Cash. And so mm. we're a big fan of of kind of getting the human element and combining it and complementing, you know, the technology piece. So I think this is going to be a great conversation and love your background. Let's get right into it. My first question for you, I know we're talking from a finance leader lens today, but I think this really does apply to, to really leaders across any industry because, you know, they're grappling with a wide range of technological, economic, societal shifts. We all know what's happened in the last few years. And it seems like all of those shifts are requiring new ways of thinking about and managing business processes and relationships. So what I'd love to do is is maybe start off by introducing a concept that you actually introduced SciTrade to, which is around these four macro transformations that are really, you know, redefining how leaders and the C-suite think about the future. So maybe we could start off by having you talk a little bit and explain about these four macro transformations. Absolutely. And it is it won't come as a surprise to to any listeners that we are living in a time of immense change. And these transformations are are four ways of kind of demarcating well, well where and how and what are are the implications here. So the first, for example, is a transformation in how we think about leadership. What is the role of a leader? What have businesses been structured for? Historically, the answer of that has really been around predictability around control, around having a a clear strategy, of course, and and a clear sense of exactly what is going on at all times. But more and more, as things are changing rapidly and as companies are having to keep up with shifting landscapes in geopolitics, in supply chain, in the pandemic, and all of the changes that that has wrought, in the environment, ecological crisis, and, and social changes and dynamics, leadership is now about resilience and adaptability and not just predictability, but really being able to adapt. And and that itself 
being the new strategy, the new normal to expect are, are really changing. And so that requires a different view and, and in many ways, a lot of different approaches to leadership and the role of a leader and strategic thinking generally. So that's one. The second big transformation that we see is in the workforce. We've long been saying the future of work. But I think we can safely say now that the future of work is here. We have already undergone dramatic shifts in how we think about what work is, how we show up for our jobs, the nature of employment. Again, this is driven by a huge range of technology changes, employment changes of you know decentralization, distributed workforces, hybrid work, working from home, and particularly in finances, to go to the bank, <laughs> to, to, to be an employee employee in financial services requires a, a completely different set of tools. And so this idea of what is work and how we're thinking about work and what is employment and what is the role of technology, what is the role of people around adopting that technology, around mitigating risks, around keeping up, this is another huge shift, how we think not just about sort of displacing people, but really the tools and how they can help us and augment us, as you were just saying, kind of the name of this platform. We have to keep people front and center when we think about technology adaptation and use and harnessing the technology. So big changes happening in the workforce that really impact every single organization. Now, the third transformation is what we might call a value transformation, or perhaps, dare we say, a values transformation. And, and what we're really getting at here is that sort of this is a, a longer story of evaluating and reevaluating what is the role of business in creating value in the world. It is, of course, to drive economics and to drive revenues and to drive returns, and it is to solve problems in the world, to actually deliver experiences, to create value, not only capture value, but to create value across a broader ecosystem of stakeholders. And again, this is driving a huge range of different you know, trends and new metrics and ways of thinking about new business models of driving you know, ecosystem-based business models and platform-based business models, thinking about how we balance risks. For example, incorporating you know, the environment as a stakeholder is, is really important to how leaders in finance think about and predict risk models, as well as a new kind of orientation for innovation and how to get ahead of the curve. So that's a big one. Finally, I will point to the generational transformation, another massive sea change, particularly in financial services. And the generational transformation, in my mind, has sort of two faces. One is on the people side, of course, that the generation of users, our digital native up and coming generation of, of users, of employees, of decision makers, expects a different experience. And this is everything from, you know, mobile pay and wallets to digital banking services and that on-demand access from anywhere 24-7 capability of just what it is to interface with these tools and do so in a financial services context. But then the other side of the generational transformation is on the back end, not just the front end, but the back end, the back office processes. We are amidst a massive revolution in what are the banking rails, the tools, the open or closed designs of financial systems. 
And so there's a generational transformation happening when we think about concepts like open banking, the use of APIs, application programming interfaces, the use of data and data sharing, and these sort of broadly speaking software-driven trust regimes to drive innovation in financial services. This is a really big shift opening up. So this in and of itself marks another form of kind of infrastructural generational transformation. So those are four big transformations that we're seeing take shape today. And they really do impact almost every leader and especially uh, chief financial officers. Wow. I mean, that's that's a lot to, to chew on, right? Because I'll tell you this, sometimes when you think of transformation, right, you think of it as digital transformation. And I think sometimes it gets pigeonholed into just that technology segment. So here, you know, I really think you you brought to light that this transformation, it's across people, as you just mentioned, process, technology, and data. In a way, people, leaders especially, need to be thinking differently about all four of these key areas in terms of transformation. So talk to me a little bit about, again, we're, we're looking at it from the lens of a CFO, but why does a CFO need to be thinking differently? Again, not just technology-wise, but people process and data as well. Yeah, it's it's one of the key aspects of why the changes in leadership are so, and that is thinking in systems. These different changes, these trends are impacting one another. Changes in technology are impacting people. They're also impacting processes. Changes in data and what data we are collecting impacts how we think about what technologies to implement and how to actually use them. So, and, and round and round, there are, there are many more even than those four. And so thinking across these different domains and how they influence one another, the, the sort of confluence of these trends simultaneously, this is part of that shift. This is part of that mindset shift. And also it comes down to, I think, thinking about our investments. When we are, you know, as organizations or leaders making investments, these are bets on some level. And how do we incorporate, you know, the risks, the opportunities, the different ways or dynamics that can impact those investments? This is another part of, I mean, good business sense, but because it's becoming so complex and these systems are interacting with one another and moving so quickly, the pace of change is moving so quickly, that this requires thinking about risk modeling and opportunity analysis in, in, in different ways. And, you know, this is a also, I mean, as we mentioned, this is more than the four. One of the big, I think, questions that finance leaders have to be asking about strategy is, what are the the big trends that, you know, the term historically has been externalities. But this is a misleading term, in fact, because these are not external to the business. They are radically shifting the inside of the business. They're radically shifting how companies have to rethink and re-strategize. When we think about something like supply chain and the impacts and, and changes that have happened there, even in a local environment, that can totally change how a business has to adapt to that based on local partners and the you know jurisdictional dynamics and, and political dynamics. So it requires keeping a very close sense of what is happening and what are the interconnections between these different trends that are taking shape on the ground. And then secondly, you know, this is also about, you know, setting goals, but not chasing every single thing that comes. Part of what financial leaders need to be thinking about is is having a long-term vision that accounts for change and that adaptability piece. I think it was Gartner who found that something like the increase in business changes over time has skyrocketed to something like 60% since 2012. And 80% of organizations have had a reorg. I mean, that's that's profound. And just, you know, 10 or 11 years have had a, a radical reorganization. So this is kind of a testament to 
this need for having a method of incorporating change trends, having a long-term vision that is adaptable and resilient in a, in a strategic way of adapting to that. How do we actually incorporate that change? So that is a question of complexity and being able to adapt. It is not a question of sort of linear control and predictability and having one vision, but something that can really incorporate these changes that we're seeing constantly through so many different domains. Yeah. And I'm actually going to skip ahead to one of my last questions, but I'm going to make it next just because you really brought up change management. And I think you're absolutely right. The idea of being agile and adaptable is something that that leaders need to be thinking about. But how do you think change management plays into transformation? And you just mentioned, you know, how can leaders be thinking about how resilient their organization is to this type of change? In a lot of ways, change management is our term <laughs> for resilience in business. And sure. so it is having an expectation to expect change. I mean, that is, I think, the simplest way of putting it. It is also developing the capacity to adapt. A lot of companies historically have been very slow-moving tankers, as they're called in the innovation space. It takes a long time to drive change. If you've ever worked at a giant corporation, they're notorious, of course, for being slow to adapt, slow to change, having deep, deep levels of processes and you know bureaucracies and so forth. But this is no longer uh, really an, an, an innovative stance. It's no longer really a, a strategic or an adaptive stance either. So it is about developing that capacity to change and developing the systems to change and developing, maybe most importantly, the mindsets to change. Now, the good news here, of course, is that we are increasingly you know, equipped with more and more tools and capabilities to enable this adaptability. Of course, I'm referring, you know, as one example, to our advanced data, artificial intelligence, you know, predictive analytics chatbots. I mean, there's there's a huge range of different technology capabilities that are enabling us, you know, with greater visibility, with the ability to account for, to count, to, you know, manage and, and see far more than was possible in the past just by digitization, as well as the ability to act. So we can see more, we can count more, we can act more. And this is in no small part driven by, you know, immense changes in digitization and increasingly collaboration. We talked a little bit about the workforce and the ability to really harness these tools for what they are good at. And also, it's worth mentioning, see where they are insufficient and see where humans really are the, the better, you know, arbiter of the job. That holding all of that, our new tools, our human capabilities and strengths, the need for adaptation, this is all in increasingly part of what we're talking about when we talk about change management in the modern business. I like this. This is where the, your anthropology background is coming into play. Mm -hmm. So, uh, <laughs> but mm -hmm. you know what? Let me ask you this, because I want to I want to go back to something that you mentioned around technology. We all know, as you mentioned, technologies come in waves, right? We've seen the idea of the hype cycle. But, you know, as you said, it seems like technology is accelerating at a greater speed than we've seen before. So how do leaders in general, and again, I know we're talking about mostly the CFO, but I just think leaders in today's day and age, how do they keep up with, you've seen things from robotic process automation to, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, you know, now there's machine learning and natural language processing. And now with ChatGPT, we're all into generative AI. So, you know, how do leaders keep up with the speed of innovation like this? It's truly a challenge. And, you know, things have been accelerating for 
the last, you know, many decades, you know, you, we could say that Moore's law, that computation roughly doubles every 18 months, that this has been, this has driven the, the kind of digital revolution, that this in and of itself is an acceleration. This has been going on since, you know, the 50s or 60s. But there has been a sea change in the last, we can call it 10 years or so, with the advancement of parallel processing, faster compute capabilities, plus much bigger data, that those two things have sort of conspired to, to increase the pace of algorithms rhythmic improvement and advancement, such that we have this sort of three-way driver of artificial intelligence, what we're, what we're now calling it. But you spoke to this before, that what that which we call a rose, what we call AI is also changing. You know, the definition of machine learning and, and, and even deep learning five years ago, that this is, is also evolving in and of itself. So the pace of change, uh, you know, with generative AI and these generative capabilities, these generative pre-trained transformer models, we're switching out the engine underneath the the AI car, the hood of the AI car. So that's part of it too. It's not just the pace of change. It's it's the language itself that makes it more difficult to keep up with what exactly are we talking about? What capabilities are we talking about when we talk about artificial intelligence? Or for that matter, that it is an umbrella term for a huge range of different techniques and capabilities. So how does the C-suite keep up? Well, a couple of tips that, that I think are really important to hold in mind is one that it doesn't take you know, reading every research paper to begin to sense make around these technologies. First, if anyone tells you that they know exactly where all of this is going, they're probably not telling the truth because <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> and it's important to hold that this is in, in many ways unknowable. Now we can and should experiment with these tools. We can and should experiment with the data, prioritizing, you know, data readiness. And I mean, so much best AI is about the best data, you know, trash in, trash out. And so starting with good data readiness, data structuring, data integrity, this is the best way of really understanding downstream, well, what what is AI and how can we actually use it? What is this AI versus that AI? And another piece, of course, is to maintain those, those pipelines of outside in. Organizations can become insular and leadership teams can become very insular. And so it's really important to keep the streams of information, of experimentation, of innovation, of partnerships, of collaboration coming in from the outside. That That's really important. That's kind of a, a marker of maturity in terms of the innovation space. And I always think, finally, kind of a third area of of just holding both the need for revision, a long-term strategy, something that others in the organization can hold on to, something that is a North Star, a beacon of this is our purpose, with, on the other side of that, the capacity to experiment, to start small, to fail fast, to fail forward, to focus on what are we learning in the process of this. Both of those things have to serve as a kind of stretch, as a kind of maybe dialectic between how do we embrace this change in this technology? We have our long-term purpose and vision, but we also have ways of, if I'm a giant tanker, sending out the speedboats and coming back to us with, with new learnings and directions to take this or not. I think those are three ways of keeping up or trying to, sense-making, and continuing to experiment and learn along the way. I love that. And you know what? I have I think I brought this up in an earlier podcast, but Gartner called it a culture hack, but it's the idea of using kind of the agile or scrum methodology that you're using on the product development side, but it's 
applying it to other areas of the business, right? Which exactly. at the end of the day, like you said, fail quickly, experiment, innovate, be iterative. You, you know, the idea of, I think, waterfall development where you have mm -hmm. to wait for one thing in order to start something else. So I do think that, you know, even finance departments that might have traditionally been, you know, maybe a little bit hesitant to change, which, you know, I think we all are, right? Change is hard overall. But I do think that even finance leaders are starting to to learn a little bit more from what the product team is doing and be able to, to leverage that. I want to talk to a little bit about, come back to something you said about data, because technology sometimes, you know, again, as we talked about change management and about, you know, again, iterative changes to an organization, you know, sometimes people feel, well, the minute you bring automation and technology into the mix, that it replaces people. That goes back to, you know, people are saying, I don't want to bring a new platform in, or I don't want to bring change in because maybe my job will no longer be needed. Or, you know what, ChatGPT can write what I was doing previously, right? Or now that with Copilot, Microsoft has integrated AI capabilities into things like Excel. So, you know, I want to go back to how does technology and also data, because like you said, technology is just the shell. You need the data to actually fuel it. But how did technology and data actually enable people? Because I want to take, you know, some of that fear away from maybe people that are thinking about making a change into more automation, but that they're they're hesitant because of what the output could mean for for their future. It's so real. It is so real. The sense of, you know, sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's hesitation. Sometimes it's it's sort of bias for the same. It's not even fear or hesitation. It's just I'm too busy. <laughs> I've seen this with clients. I have seen this up close and personal, this very human sense, this, you know, culture eats technology for breakfast <laughs> reality that can really sabotage, you know, big technology investments. And when we're talking about something like artificial intelligence, it's extremely real. Of, of all the technologies I've studied, I've never found one that evokes such emotion as artificial intelligence. And in, in so many ways, it holds up a mirror and to, to humans, and it really does drive a unique sense of emotion and resistance and, and like I said, sometimes fear. So what you're scratching at, I think, is, is really, really real. And what we also see is that time and time again, the tools alone, the AI alone is is just not enough. It doesn't, it's it's not enough. And so we are getting reminded over and over and over that we do need people. <laughs> people need people. If you've had a customer support experience recently that is virtual only, oftentimes maybe, maybe the problem is solved, but the experience of it is often, you know, lacking a human touch. Don't get me started. We can go down a lot of different wormholes of, of this kind of human computer balance. But it is certainly true to say that technology and data enables people in incredible new ways. We talked a little bit about some of those kind of breakthroughs and visibility. And one of the areas that I've seen in my research around AI is what is so important is to have people in the loop. And I don't just mean the data scientists and the engineers when building these tools, but to really pull in who are the frontline employees, who are the subject matter experts, who are the ones you know dealing with customer inquiries about this particular workflow or, or product or service, that 
this is the number one indicator of what will be a successfully adopted and a successfully used AI application. And that goes, by the way, for internal applications, such as an employee utilizing a virtual agent or collaboration tools that utilize AI and an external application. So something like, you know, will your customers, your end users actually pick up this this capability? Will they use it or will they abandon it and just call the 1-800 number and push zero? (laughs) That having humans in the loop beyond just for data and algorithmic training, as humans in the loop, that term is often known for, but really extending that lens of humans in the loop to the entire AI development process and the governance and ongoing maintenance process. These are not, you know, set and forget or turn on the light or turn on the AI and then we're done. This is a constant improvement, constant maintenance, a constant, what are we learning? What data do we need to make this process better? What kind of new capabilities are we, are we opening up with this particular AI work? flow, that all of these, this ongoing kind of feedback loop really requires humans to, first of all, identify where where is the friction today? What problem are we actually solving? And then identify once we have AI, you know, improving this, this issue or this area, how could we do it more so? How could it really get to the, the greater pain points within that employee experience? So it's really important to think about yeah, keeping people in the loop for the development and ongoing design of that. And then, you know, enabling if if step one is sort of visibility, we have more data we can see now, then where it gets really interesting and where that real augmentation comes in is the ability to act. And we see amazing examples in something like, you know, fraud prevention or in virtual agents, customer service, huge implications for improving, you know, cybersecurity in this area. So just lots of examples of ways in which the human and the AI together make for a more effective team. Humans can can leverage this technology in a way that they just didn't have those capabilities before, whether it's visibility or seeing across a much greater set of information or parameters, or most importantly, that ability to act and, and learn based on that action. No, I love that. And I think you're right. We could probably spend hours discussing this topic because, you know, as you said, we just kind of scratched the surface a bit. But I love that you use the word team to really describe the relationship because agreed, it's complementary with an E, right? It's, it's It's the combination of, again, you can't have AI without data. You need, you know, that that human loop, as you called it. I also found it very interesting. You know, you were nice enough to, to attend the Gartner CFO event that was a few months ago. And taking a look at that and the keynote speech, you know, I really expected it to be all about generative AI and what's next and what's on the horizon and the future of innovation. And all of a sudden, I realized that the name of the keynote was the human CFO. So in a way, not that I don't think it's backlash necessarily, but I just think it's a reminder that there is more to what's happening in the world and all the changes and going back to what you said around the transformations of leadership, generational workforce value. It all goes back to, again, you need a human touch. You need empathy. You need some of the the resilience idea. You need change management. That these are these are things that come into play. You know, again, as you're looking at an organization as they think about transformation as a whole. But I, I love I love that you're bringing kind of the the best of both worlds together. Usually, my last question I like to throw a little bit of a curveball, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on what's next in your mind. Are we going to move beyond generative AI, in your opinion, or are we going to go backwards a little bit? And maybe again, this human, the idea of the human touch is going to be, you know, maybe more of an emphasis as we go further with technology. 
Yeah, I think, you know, I'll pick up a little bit where where you were walking into, because I think it is it's not going backwards. I think we are perhaps sensing our way into a new phase here. And what I mean by that is our tools are holding up a mirror. Our tools are accelerating us. Our tools are generating lots of new media and ideas and content and capabilities. And in a lot of ways, this is prompting us to ask, prompting you know over a billion users at this point to see, whoa, these technologies are getting really powerful really quickly. What are they going to mean for our jobs? What are they going to mean for our organizations? What do they mean for me as an entrepreneur? In a lot of ways, they are prompting each of us to ask all sorts of different questions about, okay, well, well, now what? And that's actually really exciting <laughs> when we think about the many ways that we, as a, as a global community, need to come together or need to address the challenges that we all face. This, in a lot of ways, I see AI as, as in, some, in some small measure, a reminder of things are changing rapidly. We still have some control, or at least we still have agency to act and, and create the world that we want to see. In some ways, the tools are enablers of that. In some ways, the tools you know threaten risks to that or accelerations in, in directions that we don't want to see, huge risks. And so I think that this moment that in a lot of ways, AI presents us with an opportunity to look at, well, how can we best leverage this technology to really solve challenges or to really think about our relationship to technology and therefore our relationship to to business and business's relationship to the world to drive the kind of society that we actually want to drive a healthy and you know inclusive and regenerative place and environment and economy that that benefits all that i think i mean some would call me an optimist but i mm. think that there are it's rare that we have these sort of societal moments where there is some level, I'm not saying all 8 billion humans on the, on the planet, but there is some level of a shared, oh, wow, what happens now? Often this comes in the form of catastrophe. We don't have an AI catastrophe on our hands, knock on wood, but there is a moment to, to really think about what comes next. And I think AI in some ways presents us with a rare opportunity to do that collectively. Thanks, Jessica, for your insights into the future of finance. For Trade, this is Natalie Silverman. This has been another episode of Finance to Futurist, a side trade podcast series. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to our podcast on sidetrade.com or through your podcast platform of choice. Thanks so much for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by Sidetrade and is for general information purposes only. All rights reserved.